Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to September's Movies Podcast. Coming up, we discuss the upcoming Blu-ray releases and the UK and US movie charts. We look back at the movies of Tony Scott and look forward to the Universal Horror Box Set. And joining me on the podcast this evening is Steve Withers, Mark Potwright, Chris McInerney, and Simon Cross. Good evening, guys. Evening, Whatever you like, boys. You were there, Steve, and I knew that. Oh. So, uh, as usual, we're off to a great start. Uh, it is the Movies Podcast. It is the Movies Podcast for September. Uh, some big news to bring you before we get into the disc news, and that's uh, our Picture Perfect campaign. We're on to step three. It's the final step of the process of getting your TV uh, looking its best with the best picture quality possible, which obviously you want if you're watching movies. And we can announce on the Movies Podcast that we have two directors who are supporting the campaign at the moment. And hopefully the first of many who are going to come on and give us the support. So that's it. Michael J. Bassett and Neil Marshall. Now, some two pretty big names there, guys. Uh, Michael J. Bassett is, uh, or has been on the forums before, Chris and Simon. Uh, you both interviewed him at the launch of uh, Solomon Kane in the UK. Um, yeah, we bumped into the guy and we just couldn't shake him. Uh, quite a quite a pleasant guy, laid back, and was quite happy to sit and talk about his movie. Yeah, yeah very, very chatty, very, nice very articulate bloke. Yeah, really very knowledgeable, happy. friendly, amiable, brilliant. Yeah, really, really nice guy. Uh, yeah, he was a good lad. Yeah, and of course uh, he hasn't just done Solomon Kane. Uh, his other movies were Death Watch, and his latest movie is Silent Hill: Revelations in 3D. Yeah. I- really think of a film that needs a sequel like Silent Hill does, but uh, at least it's shot in 3D, so that should be interesting. So that's Michael J. Bassett. He is supporting the Picture Perfect campaign, and what he said is, a Picture Perfect TV shows you my movies the way I intended you to see them. In other words, very wet and overcast. I mean, lots <laughs> and lots and lots of rain. He well, loves his rain. Yeah, Michael I mean, b- both films, Death Watch and Solomon Kane, um, he used a, an awful lot of rain in there, and I think his explanation was it, it gave it... Uh, some sort of surreal feeling to it. Well, I think he said things look better in the rain. They're more arty. It's more visual. It gives. It's more dynamic between you and the characters and what they're doing. So it just looks better. And it does in some cases. And of course, uh, best out of the actors was what he said because they can't. They can't concentrate. They have to do the words. That's what he said. That's that's very true. That is exactly what he said. You must have been doing your research there, Simon. Good. Good. That's well, I was sitting opposite him talking to him. So. <laughs> no, what he means is he's been watching our little video casts over and over again. That's me. That's me there talking to, <laughs> talking to a big director. Well, you got to get the, the numbers up somehow. <laughs> and, and, of course, uh, another British director, Neil Marshall, um, he's, he's done some absolutely brilliant movies. I mean, I remember Dog Soldiers um, going in there, actually went to cinema to see it. Not knowing what to expect, it was pretty low budget, but um, fascinating awesome. and, and kept awesome. me kept me gripped all the way through. Neil Marshall was uh, the great British hope for horror, um, and we should still keep our high hopes for him because you never know. Because rumor has it he's going to be doing Dog Soldiers too, 
I've certainly seen that somewhere about, so hopefully, fingers crossed, big, massive werewolves fighting squaddies again. You can't go wrong with that. And, uh, of course, The Descent, an absolutely excellent movie. Instead of having the blokes fighting the monsters and getting picked off one by one, you had the women fighting the monsters. And uh, that was a tremendous movie. That really scared the, you know, the proverbial out of me. Great stuff. Still suffering so, now. Really yeah. good, uh, ambiguous ending, too. Yeah, tremendous. I love Doomsday. I love Doomsday and I love Centurion. I think they're great films. I really enjoyed them. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> so, well, Centurion, I, like yeah, I, I don't mind Centurion. I mean, he, this is a, a grungy British director. He, he just likes to put blood and snot and chaos in there. He makes the kind of films that, as an adolescent, that's what you want to see. Lots of blood and snot and gore. Great. Yeah, and I applaud that, certainly. But uh, Doomsday, to me, was just like, oh, you know, I loved Mad Max 2. I loved Escape from New York. I loved all these. I loved Excalibur. I loved all these films. I'm going to try and cram all my favorite scenes into one movie. And that, to me, was Doomsday. That's why I like it. <laughs> well, it wears its, its, you know, it wears its heart on its sleeve. It, yes, of course, it's a complete ripoff of Escape from New York. But that's the whole point. Yeah, there's a bit of Row Worry in there, a bit of, bit of Damnation Alley in there, a bit of Aliens in there. Fantastic. Everything is films. Everything on the uh, the kitchen sink is in there, but it, it doesn't make for a coherent, fantastic, you know, uh, engaging drama. Well, it did for you, so that, that's that's great. But for me, no, it was just like a greatest hits compilation. Um, so I, I wasn't, uh, mind you, <laughs> quite gory as hell, wasn't it? Poor, poor old Sean Pierce. We, as yeah. like, has anyone died <laughs> in films more than him? You know, and in this one, he gets barbecued and his head cooked off, cooked, his head chopped off, and then uh, and then he gets eaten. Tremendous. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, we need to move on because we've got lots to talk about tonight, but uh, I thought that was important news to get across there. So our Picture Perfect campaign, Michael J. Bassett and Neil Marshall are on board as directors, as well as almost every uh, TV manufacturer in the industry, Steve, is behind this campaign. Yep, uh, I think almost everyone, bar one, I can think of the top of my head, um, every single one of them is backing us, which is uh, unusual in, in the TV industry, to be honest, to get that much support from across the board. So um, that just goes to show that they're all, uh, all behind Picture Perfect. So moving on, we're going to go on to movie news. And uh, the first bit is uh, some rumours of a director's cut of uh, The Dark Knight Rises. I know Chris, he's seen this so many times, he doesn't need to talk about it now. Uh, so Steve, <laughs> tell us all about it. Yeah, I should stress this, it's just a rumour. But apparently, it's been doing the rounds on, on the internet that uh, that, that um, there might be a director's cut of The Dark Knight Rises um, when it comes out on Blu-ray. And to be honest, there's definitely scenes that were shot that weren't used in the film. But up till now, at least... Um, Christopher Nolan's films have always been you know, quite precise in their filming. He's always had final cut um, on his movies. And I don't think there's been any deleted scenes on any of the Blu-ray releases either. So this would be unusual. It would certainly be a precedent-setting uh, event. But um, but having watched The Dark Knight Rises, and it is a long film. I mean, it's just short of three hours, 169 minutes. Um, but and somehow, despite being that long, the last third of it feels rushed. It feels truncated. It feels like there's stuff missing. Um, and they definitely shot things like The Origin of Bane. I think there was more stuff shot with um, uh, Ra's al Ghul, um, Liam Neeson. So um, it, I, I could see a, a director's cut being a, a possibility because it, it felt as if it was it was rushed towards the end. Now, was that because he needed to get the film below a certain length in order to you know, have it be a commercial success? Because obviously the longer the film is, the less screens they can do in a day. Um, but you know, obviously the amount of power that uh, Nolan wields at Warner's, you know, he's, he can pretty much do what he likes. And I'm sure they would have released a longer film if we'd asked them. But it, it does um, does broach the question. You know, um, it, it would be interesting to see a longer cut if there was one. Um, and, and as I stress, it is just a rumour. But uh, certainly, uh, I, I was sort of um, criticised for suggesting that 
that even though at the weekend the film made a billion dollars worldwide, that was actually a bit of a disappointment because I, I think a billion dollars was the minimum it's expected to make. But the fact is it hasn't been as well received as The Dark Knight. And, you know, it hasn't made anywhere near the kind of money that, say, The Avengers has made. So, you know, given that it probably cost between three and four hundred million in total, including, you know, marketing and everything, you know, he's got to make 800 million break even. So uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe there is room for um, for Nolan to sort of just finish his, uh, put his full stop on, on the Batman trilogy. But uh, it'd, be, uh, it'd be nice if he did put a longer version out, I think, <laughs> even though it was already pretty long to start with. Thanks for that, Stato Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Facts and Figures there. Yeah, I, I've seen that film that many times now. I'm possibly, I've come out the other end of this one. Um, but, you know, obviously when it comes out on Blu-ray, I, the more bad, the merrier as far as I'm concerned. But um, Origin of Bane, see, the bits I'd read said there was some kind of prologue bit with that. Now, you know, without being too spoiler heavy on this, aren't you going to be giving away something if you give too, more, too much more of the, uh, the Origin of Bane? So I don't know how that's going to work out. But you're dead right about the final third of the movie. It is a little bit rushed. There's, a, there's obviously chunks that seem to be missing from it. Um, yeah, so I, I would applaud a new version of it, certainly a longer version. But more Alfred! We need more Alfred. Because you have a poignant moment, which is then horribly cut short, and he's gone. And he's gone until the very end of the film. What's he been doing? Where is he hiding during the occupation of Gotham? So I think there's a, there's a few little niggles that need to be ironed out, and maybe a longer version could possibly address that. Of course, there's always Prometheus as well, you know, and you've got lots and lots of deleted <laughs> scenes on that, but he's not that putting them back in the movie, is he? That needs to be reshot. Completely. <laughs> he's not putting them back in, though, is he, to try and, you know, because that, again, had a terrible, terrible second act, uh, just completely rushed, chaotic, jumbled mess, incoherent and ridiculous. Uh, and then it's, then it's plus points. Uh, but to put those extra scenes back in might definitely have made that a more coherent uh, and enjoyable experience. But he isn't doing it, is he? They're just going to be extras on the disc. Deleted scenes on the disc, aren't they? About yeah. half an hour's worth. But, uh, yeah, so, well, I mean, maybe he feels that's the... I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's just not in the mood right now to uh, to be working on it. Exactly. Film. He's not in the mood right now. So at some point in the future, you're going to see that extended cut, aren't you? Because Scott does tend to do it anyway. The extended version. He's got he's probably all the directors I can think of, other than maybe James Cameron. He's he's done an awful lot of his films as extended versions. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, that's a rumor. Anyway, so I should stress that is a rumor, uh, and I'm not you know saying it's definitely going to happen, but it, it just it felt like it's something that could be true because, as you say, Chris, it, even though it was quite a long film, the last third felt somewhat rushed. I mean, I think that rumor came from the uh, the costume, yeah, and from uh, Chris Nolan's barber. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, make, yeah. Make, make of that what you will. Yeah, so so just ignore the last uh, what ten minutes of the podcast there. Yeah, yep. probably never happened. Anyway, moving on, the Hobbit trilogy, and it is going to be a trilogy now, as we discussed in a previous podcast, and uh, they have now come up with the release dates and the names for the films. Steve, have yeah, and no, I mean no massive surprises. I think everyone had pretty much guessed this, but first film is is obviously keeping the same title it was originally going to have, which is an unexpected journey. I mean that comes out in three months' time. So it's you know, pretty too late to change that, that anyway, but that, that's the same title. It, come, it opens on the 14th of December. The second film is now going to be called The Desolation of Smog, um, and will come out on the, on the 13th of December, 2013. And then the last part is going to be called um, There and Back Again, which was going to be the title of the second film when it was going to be just two movies. And that's coming out on the 28th of July, 2014. So obviously... Um, whatever the reasons behind this decision to make it into three films, I mean, Jackson's Money. claiming... 
well, yeah, Jackson's claiming it's artistic, but Warner Brothers have now got a nice big tentpole movie for uh, the summer of 2014 when they had nothing already, um, planned because they've also got Superman, uh, The Man of Steel coming out uh, next summer, but they had nothing for the summer 2014. Now they've got a movie for summer 2014. Call me cynical, but I can hear cash t- you know, cash tills ringing. I agree. Uh, I-, I love Wacko Jacko. I love his stuff. Um I love the Lord of the Rings. I applaud the fact that you got a film a year. Uh, the, you know, Lord of the Rings saga was huge enough to to incorporate that anyway, and then the extended cuts. But The Hobbit is such a slight um, kids novel that this just smacks purely of, of commercial gain. Well, I'm uh, beginning to wonder, Chris, whether Jackson though just has run out of ideas because. You look at uh, what he's done since Lord of the Rings. I mean, the King Kong. King Kong. Um, was I enjoyed King Kong, but it wasn't that well received uh, commercial critically. It didn't actually do as well as they'd hoped commercially. And Lovely what, Bones was a disaster Bones. In, every, mm. in every level. Commercially, artistically, it was a disaster. Um, now he's gone back to you know Middle Earth. I think out of desperation because he wasn't originally going to direct them anyway. Was he, he was going to be uh, Guillermo del Toro? He's gone back yeah. to Middle Earth. Now he's stretching out for three films. I'm not sure if the guy just doesn't got anything else to do, frankly. <laughs> what is Smaug? I mean, I've read the book, but I don't He's remember that. He's a big dragon. The dragon. Yeah. Oh, the dragon! <laughs> I thought it was a place. Ah, <laughs> oh, so the old brain goes, doesn't it? Smaug, see, it makes him sound like very, a very lonely dragon as well, doesn't it? Like Puff, the, the magic end, dragon. Though? I thought the dragon. No, was no, no. It's about two thirds of the way. The, the ending is the Battle of the Five Armies. Oh man! So, so the thing we're really looking forward to is, is going to be three years away. Yeah, well, two years, to be honest. Two years. Some, yeah, summer two 2014. Years. So two years to wait. See, that's no, why I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking forward I'm to the dragon. Out. Can't be a good dragon. Oh, we're going to love it, aren't we? And after watching what he does with the first two, we're going to be, you know, champing it a bit for the third one. You know it's going to be true. So they're going to oh, look great. They're going to be emotional as well. They're going to be, this is going to be massive spectacle. Swords, elves, dwarfs, dragons, spiders. But Chris, yeah. will it look great? That's the question, isn't it? I mean, yeah, well, yeah, know, he's, yeah. he's experimenting an awful lot with these movies. And stylistically, will they actually fit with the previous, you know, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Because he's shooting on digital cameras, he's shooting at 48 frames a second in 3D. Second, yeah. uh, and I've noticed that uh, Warner Brothers seem to have bottled it a bit now, having all this negative feedback about the 48 frames per second. It's only going to be available in very limited, no, hardly anywhere, basically. Yeah. Um, we'll probably have to go to London to go and see it at 48 frames a second. Or not. It, it, it didn't well, work for some people who didn't just didn't like the appearance. You just don't want a big epic movie looking like expensive video, do you? No, not at all. Well, obviously, we're following on from Lord of the Rings, and, and myself and Mark were not the biggest fans of these movies. Uh, so, Mark, what's your thoughts? Is it something you're looking forward to? I, I'm not really looking forward to it. I've, I've got to say, um, you know, I don't want to sound pointlessly contrarian here, but you know, it, it's never really been something that excited me. Um, I've said before, I think you have to have read the book at a certain age. You know, everyone laughing there that Simon didn't know what smog was you know i had no idea i've got no idea um i I think for us for a lot of people whether it's shot at 48 frames a second or not won't really matter a great deal i I really do think that this is going to be kind of drawn out material i think he's taken one basic story it looks like it's going to be chopped into three segments i expect the second film will be overly long a lot of people will complain that it's excessively boring but they'll go in to see the third <laughs> film anyway because they want to get to the the final confrontation. You know, it's 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 one story. I, I I really don't see, you know, the great need for it to 
get this huge production when I, I just think there's other stuff out there that's that, that he could be moving on to you know and then you got the final film which is called there and back again and and going on uh return of the king is going to have about 57 endings yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's I, I agree with mystic mark i think he's foreseen the future we will be bored rigid by the second episode <laughs> oh, we won't. But we, got a but giant we, dragon we, in it what's boring about that I want Another dragon. There's a wolf army in the Battle of the Five Armies and trolls and things and all sorts, isn't there? Isn't but there? Where will where will the dragon feature in the second? Do you think ah, it, that'll be a spoiler? Main, it's the main plot point in the second part in the second film. Yeah, but where do you think he'll feature it the most? Do you think it's going to have a great big battle in the middle, or will it draw it out? Well, I, I mean, obviously, I don't want to give a plot. <laughs> <laughs> really, I can't you remember read the book. <laughs> We could all read it now. It's only got about 48 pages in it, for God's sake. The reason sake. that they take Bilbo with them is because they want him to sneak into the dragon's lair and steal. Uh, um, but basically, <laughs> he's taken as a burglar to go and steal the dragon. The dragon collects all this gold and it belongs to the dwarves. They want it back. But we do meet Gollum as well, don't forget. And you have the wonderful uh, secret. We'll meet where... Gollum in the first film. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we've seen all that in Lord of the Rings. You've got the riddle. They, they, they riddle each other, don't need to try and survive. You know. Yeah. What's in your yes, pocket it. and all that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got to say, guys, you're, you're really selling this trilogy, and uh, you're doing a yeah. good job in <laughs> selling this. I take it now. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I saw it in your pocket. You're just pleased to see me. <laughs> Unexpected journey out on the 14th of December. Uh, second film is out the following December 13th, and uh, then they're in back again with 57 endings on the 27th <laughs> of uh, July. And we turn to some sad news to finish off on the movie news, and that is uh, the Green Mile star Michael Clark Duncan died of the effects of a heart attack, which I believe he suffered back in July, and he passed away this week at the age of 54, best known for the Green Mile, and he was uh, absolutely brilliant in that film. He was. I mean, if anyone's read the book, um, Stephen King, a novel, um, you know, it's it's a difficult part. They must have been thinking, how are we going to cast this this guy in a film? And yeah, they, uh, Michael Clark Duncan was absolutely perfect for the role and played it brilliantly and thoroughly deserved the Oscar nomination that he got for that film. I thought he was really superb. Oh, but I also thought he was great in other films he was in too. I loved him in Armageddon, carrying what was possibly the largest spanner in history. Um, and uh, any man uh, who could carry it. Yeah, it was it was gigantic. <laughs> He was a big man. He was great in Daredevil as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A film that no one it? apart from me seems to like. But oh, I, I like Daredevil. Fantastic as Kingpin. And, and he, he yeah, was a gorilla very... in Tim Burton's. Oh, yes. He was in, 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 yeah. Reboot, reimagination. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's tragic news, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly sad news and, um, and a bit of a shock. Um, I too loved him in, uh, in, in Daredevil. Um, but he's left a legacy, so gone but not forgotten. How's that? Yeah, I think that's a poignant note to move on from the movie news this month. And uh, let's go to the box office and uh, let's see what, what things are doing at the box office. So we'll go to Chris first. Huh. Uh, UK box office. I'm only coming to you, Chris, because I think you, you will have seen Keith Lemon in the film, which is at I number five. I haven't as yet. I do apologise. No, I wanted to see it, but I, I have no got idea what that is, by the way. Keith Lemon. Come Keith on. Lemon. Lemon the movie. Celebrity Juice. It's... Yeah. um. Oh God! What's his what's his real name? <laughs> Lee. Okay. Lee something. Don't you like him? He's an acquired taste, I know. Um, he's ginger. He's ginger, and he's one sex depraved, complete and utter. He's just like me. Only he's on TV more often. He's a nutter, basically. Yeah. He's a mank, and uh, he's anarchic. 
He has TV shows up the wazoo and back, and now he's made. He's created a whole new character for himself. This was a guy who did Bo Selector. Do you remember Bo Selector? Yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. say, it reminds me of that Bo Selector. I didn't really. I didn't realise it was the same bloke. But, um, you know, it just seems that there's too much of this anarchic, in your face kind of idiot presenter type person taking there's never the enough. Mickey out of. Simon, oh, no, it's too much. It's too much. I'm fed up with it. Just. You know, and now there's a film of it. This well, is it. This is what the guy has done. He's got, he's got his own TV show, Celebrity Juice, where he have like you know his panel of guests would be on, and he just insult the hell out of them. It's just basically his show. He rules the roost. But you've got two regular hosts on it as well. You've got Holly, Holly Willibooby. You've got um, hang on, my wife's here. Who's the other one on um, Celebrity Juice? The one with the strange nostrils, Janet. <laughs> What's her name? Fern, Fern Cotton, sorry. Thank, thanks <laughs> guest, guest appearance for my wife there. Marvellous. No, go away. Um, and it's just, it's just an anarchic, silly show. And, but it's got very, very popular. And he's so up his own backside that, that he's become this character. He's, he's actually transformed from whoever the hell he was in real life to Keith Lemon. He's on all the chat shows. He's on, you know, everything. He's, he's on TV all the time. So what was the next logical step? Keith Lemon, the movie. And basically, it's just any woman he's always fancied, he's managed to get them into the film, and he's groping them, and he's, you know, (laughs) dry-humping them. (laughs) Chris, you say he's on TV all the time. I've never heard of him, and I review TVs for a living. (laughs) My wife is still here. Janet, he's on TV all the time, isn't he? Keith Lemon. She's she's nodding. Can you nod a bit bit more loudly? Nod a bit louder. Who doesn't know that? She's just said, well, Steve, Steve Withers doesn't know, doesn't know who Keith Lemon is. But Steve Withers doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't go a great, I love watching him on TV. I love comedies, but I don't tend to go to flicks to watch a comedy. You know, obviously, Airplane, that sort of thing, Naked Gun. Yeah, I'd do that. And I have seen comedies at the cinema, but I'm not going to go anywhere to go and see it. Because there's so much other stuff at the moment at the flicks. And let's just cast our eyes down through the UK box office now. Brave is out there, Pixar at the moment. We know what Ted is, that's a comedy. Has anyone seen Ted? I really I want to see it, but I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to go to the cinema to see it. I'll wait on the on disc. Blu-ray. I love Family Guy. I love Ted's Seth awesome. MacFarlane. I think it'll be great, but I'm going to wait till the disc comes out. He's a dirty bear. <laughs> He's a naughty bear. And the fight scene he has between Ted and Mark Wahlberg is absolutely tremendous. It is pure family guy, but if you love that sort of humour, then you're going to have a ball with this. It's great. It very deserved of, a, of the second place in the top ten. Coming at number three, we have The Bourne Legacy. I haven't seen this as yet. Has anybody else? Kaz no. did. Kaz saw it, yeah. And he I think did. Kaz quite liked it, didn't he? Yeah. But it wasn't a patch She's on the originals. Well, I like Jeremy Renner even though he's got that squashed sort of pug-faced version of Daniel Craig, <laughs> but uh, crossed with Jeremy Kyle, absurdly. pug enough. Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see who else I can insult tonight. <laughs> I've done a lot of big stars so far. Well, I mean, num- number six, number six, you can knock yourself out with number six because that's The Expendables 2. Expendables 2, hurrah! Awesome, awesomely stupid. Um, I, I love the movie, but I love 80s, you know, action, macho, cheese, one-liners, gore, violence, you know, machine guns, heavy caliber weaponry, and, you know, just stupid zinger one-liners. Uh, and, yeah, this is great fun, but I don't think it's as good as the first one. I know everyone else is saying it's better, it's bigger, it's bolder. Uh, it's also a bit more sanitized, and it's really stupid. Arnie, you know, we all love Arnie. 
Arnie back in the heyday was just fantastic in this. Sadly, he's just a buffoon. His comic timing is a little bit off. Uh, he looks, you know, understandably, he looks a bit rusty. Uh, but his, the one line is, it just becomes a massive movie in-joke. Lots of referencing, you know, it, jokes at each other's filmic career. Now, you know that you're going to get that, but it does take you about the film a little bit, I think. Uh, but, but, hang on, hang on one second. Chuck Norris, 72 Kicking ass, Chuck Norris looks amazing as well. Chuck Norris is seventy-two. Seventy-two. <laughs> Say it again. He's yeah. seventy-two, and he kills. He kills about seventy-two people in the movie as well. He's absolutely amazing. Uh, I love. I love that guy. And uh, bizarrely, I heard enough, that um, Jean um, um, Jean Claude Van Damme is actually quite good as a villain, isn't he? He is. He's very good. Um, but sadly, you don't get enough of him. I don't think. Uh, he, he is very, very good, uh, and he could definitely do this sort of role again. Apparently, you know, during the uh, production of it, Simon West, the director, said that they loved the days when um, Van Damme was in because he'd do something different. He'd do a thousand takes, you know, but he didn't even have to. He'd do a camp, flamboyant, sinister, <laughs> crazy, uh, very melancholy. He'd do a different version all the time. And they'd just be a gog, uh, you know, the, the guy's range. And yet, when you watch the movie, you don't really get too much of that. I really expected great things from him. And he is good, but he, you just want to see more of what, you know, what this guy's capable of. There's a big smackdown between him and Sly at the end. This was touted as being, you know, a f- the battle of the ages. This is one that's going to last in cinematic history. Ugh, not quite. Uh, it's very stop and start. But tell you what, Van Damme can still do those massive, like, you know, six foot up in the air, spinning round kicks. Oh, my God, yeah, superb. And against, you know, Stallone's pure pugilism, you know, them big massive fists just hammering down. It, yeah, it's good stuff, but... Again, could have been better. But I sound like I didn't like it. I actually loved it. And I'll tell you the other surprising thing as well, because uh, I think I wrote this in the, uh, the review for it as well. I had the hair like typical 80s um, <laughs> Chuck Norris in his heyday. I had the Chuck Norris beard. I had a Chuck Norris sweatshirt on as well. I was totally Chuck. I was chucked out. <laughs> I was chucked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> but... Uh, we got in there, and you know, it was full of, you know, it was a 15, so a lot of younger kids were in there as well. Uh, you know, not, it wasn't an 18 like the first one. first one wasn't 18, wasn't it? I'm just rambling now. I don't just, think it was, actually. Well, I can't remember, but um, anyway. And, but when Chuck came on, there was a great big cheer <laughs> around the audience. And me and my mates who were all having a bit of a Chuck Norris renaissance and watching all the movies, and I was doing a lot of reviews, especially for, you know, the arrival of Chuck in Expendables 2. Uh, I just looked around, I, I gaped at people because how, how do you know who this guy is? But then again, it's because everyone knows it's Chuck Norris. Chuck Joe, Norris. The internet. Yeah. Chuck Norris counted to infinity twice. It's, it's legacy, yeah. And Chuck Norris has push ups, the earth moves away from him. Yes, you've been reading Paris a holiday once and the French surrendered. Behind Chuck Norris's beard, there isn't a chin, there's just another fist. In the morning, when God wakes up, he weeps because he knows he's not Chuck Norris. <laughs> there's, 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 there's so many, and that's probably why, because everyone's like, God, it, that's the guy, that's the man. And he doesn't actually have to do that much to, <laughs> to get people cheering. So it's made up. Um, yeah, moving along. <laughs> we have, Oh, God, number seven, the Three Stooges. Uh, no. I hate the Three Stooges anyway. And the uh, idea of film uh, remake was even worse. So I'm staggered it's made that, I well, know, only half a million good. It's a bomb. Yeah, we won't dwell on that one then. But coming up with number eight, I've seen this, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Dog Days. This is the third Wimpy Kid movie. Great best-selling series of books for kids. A little bit anarchic again. They're, they're for like, you know, early teens. 
I, I like them, you know, but I, I've got two kids that adore these movies, so I had to go and watch this one. It wasn't as good as the second one. The second one was called Diary of Wimpy Kid 2. <laughs> Roderick Rules. <laughs> that's that's the, the Wimpy Kid's older brother. He's the star of the show. He steals it from under everybody else's nose. And he's in this one again, but he's not quite as used as much. And, you know, I saw the flicks, and everyone around me was laughing their heads off, uh, all three of them. <laughs> All three that were in there with us. Uh, yeah, I, I, if you like that sort of stuff, you've got kids, then they're going to love that. So I, I enjoyed that. Number nine, Ice Age. This is Ice Age 4, isn't it? Continental Drift. Yep. Ain't seen it. I kind of um, gave up after Ice Age 2. But... Uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoy them. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're actually massively popular. <laughs> they, 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 they make massive money in like th- uh, other countries. Quite popular in the US and Europe, but huge in places like Asia. For some reason, that they take a boatload of money internationally. I think the, the, the last one, the third one with the dinosaurs, took uh, eight hundred million worldwide. Wow! It's big oh. films, big money. We, weirdly, mate, my kids didn't show. Like, my kids loved the well, loved the first two, uh, and I think they've watched the third one. But I, pff, I don't look at that one, um, and they didn't show any interest in this one. So I don't know. Don't know what happened I'll there. I did it on disc. But the, the the first one, mate, is a is a great film. Genuinely yeah. moving as well. Yeah. Um, Sweet. Yeah, it, it, it gets you. You don't expect it to. Manny the Mammoth and his, his, his tragic backstory. God, I, I can't even, I, even talk about it now. I'm beginning to fill up. It really got me. <laughs> I hate it when, you know, kids' movies do that to you. You don't expect it. You know, Bambi, yeah, everyone expects it from Disney. But, you know, the latest CG, you know, animated um, Animal Fest. Oh, it's going to be great. And all of a sudden, they throw this poignant backstory in. And you're sitting there blubbering like a fool. God, how dare they? I was going to say we should do a, a topic of conversation on films that end up making us cry that we didn't expect. Oh, Jesus. No, don't. Don't. Planes, oh, trains, no. automobiles. It, cry it, like up the end of that one. Orca it, killer it, whale. Oh, no. No. I, 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 I don't take me back to this. Don't. King Kong, the 1970s version. We're going off on a stupid tangent now, aren't we? <laughs> Let's get back to the imposter. <laughs> Dear God. The imposter. Um, I haven't seen that either. A friend, a friend of mine saw it last weekend, said it was excellent, actually. Um, it's about a, a guy. It's a, it's a documentary about a guy who it's a wacky poses, story, isn't it? poses as a couple's missing son, and even though he's obviously not their missing son, they take him in as as if he is. Um, yeah, it's, it's all true, isn't it? It's, it's true story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, that was it. Then that's that's a top ten yeah, for the UK. Yeah, and and uh, that's all we got time for on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, very quickly, because um, there are differences between the US and UK box office, as there always are. Uh, very quickly, let's go through them. Uh, Steve, just quickly list them off and ones that we yeah, haven't covered um, yet. The Possession, which is in at number one in the US last weekend. Uh, I've, I've not seen this. There's been, a raft of, uh, there's been a raft of Possession movies though recently, and I'm getting kind of sick of them. Um, so yes, another film about Possession. That's at number one. Number two, though, very interesting, Lawless. Um, John Heathcote's new film, uh, apparently excellent um, Tom Hardy's in it, uh, Shia LaBeouf, um, Gary Oldman. It's got a fantastic cast. Um, I think it's also written again. But they did The Proposition, which was written by yeah. um, Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Warren Sons. Warren Ellis, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, that one I'm actually interested in seeing. Number three is Expendables 2. We talked about Born Legacies, number four. Number five is Paranorman, which is a stop-motion yeah. animation 3D movie, which looks quite good. Zombies! The Odd Life of, the odd life of Timothy Green, I know nothing about, to be honest. Um, anyone know about that? Nope. <laughs> we'll move on. Dark Knight Rises at number seven. So that's uh, made 431 million in the US so far, but considerably less than the Avengers, it has to be said, which has made over 600 million now. 
the campaign is number eight. That's Will Ferrell comedy, uh, obviously about a political campaign. Number nine is interesting. That's a documentary called 2016 Obama's America, which is uh, taking a look at where they think America will be in four years time if Obama gets a second term. Uh, and then finally, a film called Hope Springs, which you go and know absolutely nothing about. I take it number nine. Is this from a Republican point I of view? I don't know. I've not seen it. So I'm not sure if it's a Republican one or a Democratic one, but I'm guessing it's not good. Yeah. Uh, 2016 Obama's America is almost like a, an answer to Fahrenheit 9-11. It's, it's one of uh, predominantly from a conservative viewpoint, as in uh, kind of critiquing Obama. And uh, it, it takes this kind of pseudo psychological view of um, various aspects of his life and, and tries to explain uh, how that might have affected certain policies and uh, how he's he's trying to retract America's power in the world and the like. And it, it's really just one of those vote-swinging films uh, trying to grab the, the undecided voter in a run-up to an election. Uh, it opened on very small amount of, um, in a very small amount of theatres and it progressively uh, gained through good word of mouth to various other kind of mainly red states, it seems, but um, yeah, it, it's managed to make a, a, a good amount of money and it's, it's well, I think, in the top 10 of uh, US documentaries. No, it, so it's, interesting. It. it's interesting because Fahrenheit 9-11 was about a nutcase who was in mm. the job and, and we all knew that the guy was a nutcase. <laughs> um, uh, Obama, I mean, we don't get to see much of the American politics and stuff in this country, but I, I've got a general feeling that outside America, Obama's well thought of, so it seems um, it's going to have a hard sell outside the US. Out, outside the US, I would expect this to have an extremely hard sell, but it, it's one of those that was very much made for the domestic audience. You know, it's it's a bit like, I, I suppose you could liken it to some of those um, kind of uh, apocalyptic church movies that would get shown around various kind of Baptist churches in Bible belts and the like and would make huge amounts of money from that and yet never make mainstream cinemas outside of the US. You know, this is very much one for an audience that will be voting in the in the um, next elections. So that's a box office for the UK and the US. And uh, moving on quickly and swiftly, and finally, at the price of 36 quid, I think even I am going to go out and buy this next one. Uh, coming on the 1st of October, and uh, get ready for Chris to wax lyrical yet again, is the Universal Monsters Blu-ray box set. Oh, oh God, can't wait for this. £36. £36. And there's a limited edition as well in the coffin box set for only a few quid more. My God, how could you pass this up? You've got... What have you got? You've got Dracula, 1931. You've got the two versions of Dracula. It's been... Um, it's been... <laughs> it was shot in Spanish, you know? wasn't it, or something? Uh, yeah, you've got the Spanish version in there, which is technically far superior to the, you know, the original Todd Browning one. Uh, but the guy playing the Dracula role, this Spanish guy, whose name sadly eludes me right now, he's not as good as Bella, because Bella is just... He is Dracula. Uh, the the vowel mangling that he does with his Eastern European accent is just superlative. You, why you need why do they shoot a Spanish version of Dracula on on the same sets and uh, the same backlights? Why? Because for, just for the be, Spanish market. Or well, yeah, because they were selling it to you know around the world as well, so they'd have another version of it. It was quite a common practice. Apparently, who directed that then? I can't remember. <laughs> just, was it, just it wasn't Todd Browning. No, let me just yeah. find out for you because I've got it here somewhere. Oh, and you know what? I don't think I've got it there. Oh, for God's sake. You know. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 oh, yeah. Okay. So, the, so they would quite often use the same sets to shoot alternative language films 
the same film all the time. In Noel and Hardy done it all the time. Yeah, they did it quite a lot. <laughs> and it's good. It's actually a really good version. But as I say, you've not got Bela Lugosi in it. Uh, and the guy who does play who does play Dracula, he looks like he's just gone to a Halloween party as Bela Lugosi. So <laughs> it does kind of, you know, you lose a bit there. Which is a shame because that was kind of Bela Lugosi's later career, wasn't it? Playing himself at a Halloween playing party. Playing rip-offs of himself, yeah. Uh, but it's definitely worth looking at, and it's it's a it's a great version to have. You also have uh, Frankenstein, obviously James Whale's Frankenstein. You have Bride of Frankenstein, is in here? So, yes, of course yes, it, is. it is there, and it, Which it is, classes as one of the sequels that's better than the original. Uh, it's certainly a lot camper. It's been <laughs> it's, it introduced the world to camp. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's got more killings in it. It's far more atmospheric. It's got a lot of stuff to it. It's a you know, it's a wide ranging movie. A lot of great concepts in there. The only bit I don't like is the uh, the little homunculi that um, Doctor Pretorius has made. He's trying to work out. He wants the secrets from uh, Frankenstein, how to create life from death, and all this, um, how to play God. And yet, there's a sequence where he shows Frankenstein what he's been able to do, and he's made these perfect miniature people. You know, the, the, you know, the way they, they filmed it, the visual effects and that. But they're proper little people. They're infinitely better than anything <laughs> that Frankenstein could ever cobble together from, from rotting cadavers, as he says. It's, it's, it's great. There's a lot of sh- stupidity to it as well. But you've got, a, you've got the blind hermit and everything like that. It's just fantastic. Great, great movie. Uh, I'm trying to be quick and razz through all of these. You have The Mummy as well. Again, it's Boris Karloff. Uh, you barely see him as The Mummy. Uh, but it's one of the one of the greatest shocking scenes of all when uh, you know he, he comes to life at the very start of the movie, and you basically just see his hand reach out, and then you see um, a bit of bandage going out the door, and it's just brilliant and a clever, clever movie as well. Uh, beyond that, The Invisible Man, Claude Rains playing Claude a Rains. cackling, weird, completely insane <laughs> invisible dude. Uh, again, but really good effects. Not, I think they stand up the today. Great, These invisible the effects. effects are superb. I mean, he, he, he takes the uh, the Mickey out the cops, doesn't he? And he's running <laughs> circles around them. It's just, it's insanely stupid. But you know, you gotta love it. Uh, the Wolfman, ugh, one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr., absolutely incredible. Should be more killings in it, if only the wear. But you know, you've got the misty sets, you've got the gypsy curse. This is the film that set the whole ball rolling for uh, for lycanthropy in movies because it brought in the silver bullets, it brought in the full moon, it brought in all that stuff. You know, uh, they which... reference directly in uh, the Howling, don't they? I think there's even scenes from the Wolfman in the Howling, uh, and in American Wealth in London as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's that set that created the legend, the cinematic law of the werewolf. That's that's where it all stems from, and it was all created by Kurt Siermak, yeah, who wrote the script. And it's a, treme- a tremendous movie, very very atmospheric. Uh, you have the Phantom of the Opera, nineteen forty three. This is not the best version. There's many many versions of it, the Phantom of the Opera story, of course. I, I'm kind of partial to Hammer's version, um, and of course oh, like the original- Phantom of the Paradise by yeah, <laughs> Palmer. Brian De Palmer. yeah. And you have, of course, uh, the original Lon Chaney Senior version, which is excellent. Um, but this is this is this is good. It's it's a a good proper um, thrilling story. I remember Dario Argento did a version of it. Do you remember that one? Holy Jesus, that was a complete and utter mess of a film. Yeah. Dario, God, don't make any more films. But too late. Yeah, He's just done Dracula three D. Oh, you fool! Yeah, apparently oh. it's terrible. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> oh god no um 
What else we got in there? We've got Christian Mark Lacoon. Now, can I interject actually at this point? Because sorry, to, but you can, Chris, um, this you. shouldn't this shouldn't be in the box set. It is not one of the universal classic horror films from the third thirties and no, early forties. It's a different era. It's a totally 50s, different era. It's a fifties B movie three D creature feature. Yeah, exactly. However, even though it shouldn't be in the box set, I am very happy it is. Because it's, Why, it's, Steve? it's the 3D version. And the first and time. For the yeah. first time, I'll be able to watch The Creature from the Battle Moon actually in 3D um, as it was shot. Um, and and, and um, I, I say I'm quite excited about that personally. So am I. Uh, because, you know, there wasn't a gimmick as well. You know, you had a lot, that area, a lot of gimmicky 3D movies came out where everything was just being thrown at the screen. And of course, you've had that sort of thing now. And of course, we get the post conversion now. This film was always geared to be in 3D. Now, when you watch it now, just just flat, there's plenty of scenes where you know, ah, oh, that would look great in 3D, where the, you know, the, the gill man's hands come towards you, the spear gun gets fired at you. But those little gimmicky shots are very few and far between. But the best thing about it, apparently, is uh, the underwater photography, yeah, yeah. which is great anyway. But the uh, the fronds and the uh, the plants and the, you know, just the uh, the bubbles in the water, apparently, it, it's absolutely majestic to look at. So they really knew how to make the 3D and really you know, embellish the movie with it. It isn't a tacked on gimmick. The film works great with the 3D. It was devised that way. And the two sequels were 3D as well. In fact, you're quite right. This film does not belong in this box set at all. What I would love to have seen is the, you know, the later movies in like a volume two sort of thing. And you could have had the two sequels to end creature, the creature walks among us and revenge of the creature. Neither of which are as good as the first one, but you know, that's the, the law of sequels though, isn't it? Apart from bride of Frankenstein, of course, <laughs> But you've got loads of other hammer, uh, hammer, other universal movies that could be in the next volume. You've got all the, the really silly, <laughs> ripe old um, you know, Monster Mash sequels. I've well, got uh, a real like Bud, fondness. Bud, Bud, um, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman and that kind of stuff. Well, you, you've got Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which is yeah. actually a great, great film. That's just come out on Blu-ray. That's preempted this box set. I still, at the time of this recording, I'm still awaiting my copy to turn up. Um, but there's been mixed feelings about how that looks, how it's been transferred. It, there's a bit of DNR taking place there, but you know it's going to look infinitely better than it ever has done before, and that everyone does seem to agree with that. I can't wait to see it. It's a great. The horror comedies are very few and far between, aren't they? Uh, Young Frankenstein is one. Very few and far between. Yeah, and this is one. You know, it, it pays. It pays respect to you know Dracula, Frankenstein, and uh, the Wolfman. Well, the great line in it, you know, uh, but when the, when the moon is full tonight, I'm going to turn into a wolf. Yeah, you and three other million guys, you know. It's it's just great, great stuff, you know. Um, I'm going again, an acquired taste. In their own movies, I was never so keen on them, but in this, I thought they were great. They met the mummy, they met Dr. Jekyll, they met Martians, they had a whole slew of these things, but Meet Frankenstein is definitely uh, the gem amongst all of those. So that's out. And of course, you've got this fantastic box set at one hell of a great price. Yeah, thirty-six quid is thing, outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. Other weird thing is like, this has got announced and the ball started rolling on this. And I was obviously looking around all the forums, you know, on both sides of the pond. The amount, and I, I thought, well, I'm a big fan of Universal Horror, and people obviously respect them and know that the horror genre was born with all this sort of stuff, all the traditions that we see in the movies now. They, that they all stem from this sort of thing. 
But the amount of people that have been clamoring for this and overjoyed, it's always, any forum you go on, it's one of the top ones, it's commented on all the time. People are really, really looking forward to this. And, you know, it warms my ghoulish heart to think that people are, you know, similarly enthusiastic as me. You've got uh, eight eight movies in the box set. There's extras on every disc. Uh, Obviously, they're fully restored for um, for high definition um, in their correct, I guess, four to three ratio. Um, And, um, yeah, I mean, Frankly, uh, you know, for what you're getting in this package, is they're basically giving it away. So my advice to everyone listening is go out and buy it. Buy it. Don't get the American one. It's far more expensive. Yeah, yeah, it's way more expensive in the States. Okay, so that's a Universal Monster Blu-ray box set. It's out on the 1st of October. And if that hasn't whetted your appetite, then nothing will. Moving on, and again, sadly, we've got to talk about the passing of yet another Hollywood legend, and that is Tony Scott. Uh, who died very recently, I think it was the 24th of August, um, from an apparent suicide. We won't go into that. I think what we should be doing, guys, is celebrating uh, the fact that he made some absolute stinkers, but at the same time, <laughs> he, he also made some absolute classics. And uh, when it was reported on the news, obviously the big movie that, that everybody associated with him was Top Gun. Um, but he's made far more... Uh, far more movies than that and some absolute classics in there. Absolutely, Phil. Yeah. Um, when, when it was announced, it was a real big shock when I heard it on the news, on um, uh, the breakfast morning news. I thought, oh, my God, what, 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 what? And then they had all these people pulled out of the woodworks um, explain going on and on and on about how great Top Gun was. Top Gun was a terrible film. It was great <laughs> filming in, in the air, the the the, the shots of the planes and that but it was a terrible film and i don't know why the poor sod's got to be associated with that one when he's done so much better um my, my own personal favorite of all these films was man on fire um which i've reviewed for the site uh, a couple of times now um it was just a, a brilliant brilliant film um the, the, he, often associated with uh, um what, what did he call it um mtv type cutting um very very quick cutting um and he, uh, there's an argument to be made that he kind of introduced that um, to the world of film editing. Um, the, the, his use of film stocks, um, they're very visually entertaining. Um, often he can be described as a um, style over substance director. don't really think it holds much water um, on many of his films. Um, but for me, Man on Fire, top of them. I mean, there's a whole list of them. We can go through them, and I'm sure Steve and uh, Chris will do. Um, but for me, Man on Fire is what he should be remembered for, not not Top Gun. It's interesting that you mentioned the editing style there, um, because in comparison to what some directors uh, use nowadays in terms of fast cut, handheld camera, and you haven't got a bloody clue what's going on in the scene, I don't think you could throw that at... Tony Scott. I mean, he had a, he had a distinctive style, uh, no question about that. But I, again, I think he was a bit of a pioneer um, with the handheld camera, with the you know different angles that were were not from traditional cinema. He he did jazz things up a little bit, and it was interesting that um, his brother Ridley said that when he was describing him and his brother, he said his movie style, Ridley's movie style, was classic, classical, and. Uh, that Tony was rock and roll, and I think that that, that was a good analogy because uh, in a lot of his films they are kinetic, they are fast paced, they are fast moving. But you know what's going on within the scene. It's not. Uh, I think the Born Born movies are a good example of really fast cutting that that takes you out of the movie because you're thinking, well, who's hitting who and what's going on? 
you watch something like Enemy Enemy of the State, which is one of my favorite films, not just by him, but one of my favorite movies. Um, you know, the action scenes, are, you know, they're kinetic, but they're all really well, very well staged. And you can always tell what's going on. If you compare that to something like Quantum of Solace, where you literally have no idea what's going on in the fight sequences. They're so badly shot and so quickly cut. Um, uh, um, that, that, yeah, absolutely right. That, that His style was actually much more um, traditional in many ways. I mean, he used, you know, much like his brother, he, he would use a lot of soft, soft focus, a lot of filters, a lot of smoke. Um, you know, there was a very much a, a very unique uh, look to Tony Scott's films. And I know that when Quentin Tarantino found out that uh, he was d- going to direct Tarantino's script of True Romance, and he was absolutely over the moon because he, he said, I, I can't believe that someone with Tony Scott's style is going to make a movie of my screenplay. And in fact, the film was brilliant. Um, one, 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 again, one of my favorite films. Um, and when, when you look down the list of what he's directed um, over the years, you realize that, you know, he, he made a lot of really, really good movies. Um, really, and en- basically, really entertaining films that that um, that will stand the test of time. I think so. You know, not just Enemy of the State and True Romance, but I, I love The Last Boy Scout, um, Man on Fire, which Simon's already mentioned is great. I really enjoy Unstoppable. I mean, you can't beat a big runaway train movie, as far as I'm concerned. Great, great stuff. Um, I even enjoyed Taking a Pelham One Two Three, which is the remake of the of the Walter Matthau Robert Shaw movie from the 70s um, with John Travolta. And he made five movies with with Denzel Washington. You know, you know, Denzel Washington's a great actor, and and and, and does some of his best work with uh, with Tony Scott and Crimson Tide. Again, another great film that uh, Tony Scott made, and, and in fact, one that Kaz mentioned to me recently, which I'd completely forgotten that Tony Scott directed. But again, I really love is is Spy Game, which uh, which has got both Brad Pitt and, and and Robert Redford in it. So yeah, I think over time people will remember Tony Scott as having directed a was not style of a substance, actually made really slick, well-made, entertaining films. And sometimes that's all you want when you go to the movies. So Steve's gone through most of the list there, so we're, we're saving Top Gun with the uh, topless guys on the beach all buffed up playing uh, beach playing volleyball. Playing with the boys. For Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I love, I love Top Gun. I basically, I wooed my wife. <laughs> to, I quoted Top Gun endlessly to her. And she had no idea because she didn't like American movies, but I... I was I was Maverick, mate. I was Maverick. I was there when I wasn't being Chuck Norris. I was being Maverick, and then and then I was being Martin Riggs. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Tony Scott. I like his films. I think they're all entertaining. There's no bad ones amongst them. But you know, a lot of people say like, you know, I, I revere his stuff. You know, like it's Tony Scott. Tony Scott. Maybe I'll go and see it. Well, I would never go and see a film because it was Tony Scott. I wouldn't see what the film was like first, you know, it was what kind of movie it was, but I wouldn't see it just because he was attached to it. He had a very slick style, as as um, Simon said before, a very sort of MTV sort of style, very slick, very fast, very, you know, visually exciting and arresting, and, you know, that, and that was great. His brother Ridley, also very, very visual, you know, the two of them had the same sort of, uh, an, an eye for creating, you know, a, a fantastic uh, visual palette. Um, and I like The Hunger, which is, you know, like, is that his first movie, The Hunger? Yeah, that was. I mean, slow, languid, dreamy, sort of, sort of surreal in places. It's a vampire story. Um, Maybe David Bowie. David Bowie, who ages There's in one fantastic scene. sequence from it. Yeah, Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. Yeah, the uh, the spillage on the on the blouse. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> 
<laughs> it was a long time ago, for God's sake. Um, but that was a great movie, and the, the effects where David Bowie ages from youthful beauty to... Uh, well, that was uh, Dick Smith, wasn't it? Didn't yeah, Dick Smith. Tremendous. Very similar in, in, to um, Little Big Man, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Um, but great stuff. Uh, what else did I like? Well, I do like Top Gun, yes. Beverly Hills Cop 2, that was the, the harder, more, uh, more nasty version, wasn't it? I can't quite remember. <laughs> Revenge, that's the Kevin Costner one, yeah. Which I actually I right? watched uh, a couple of weeks ago, bizarrely, but just before his death, uh, and uh, hadn't seen it before, and um, quite enjoyed it. It was uh, it's a strange film, and mm. quite very violent, and, and quite a lot of sex in it too, which is good. Yeah. Uh, um, but with, uh, I think actually Kevin Costner watched the director's cut uh, for a commentary track, and, and hadn't seen it in a long time. And certainly some of the scenes they put back in with him mm. and uh, Madeleine Stowe, he hadn't seen at all. And he said, boy, oh, we really Mad- were getting into it, weren't we? <laughs> Ma- Madeleine Stowe. Oh, yeah, God, never looked yeah. hotter than she does in that oh, film, I have fantastic. to say. fantastic. Uh, Days of Thunder, uh, an absolute turd of a film. <laughs> but it, it was a good-looking turd. Uh, Last Boy Scouts, ah, that is tremendous, yeah. You touch me again, I'll kill you. Yeah. Just just awesome. True Romance, now... I, I, I've not seen that film for a hell of a long time, but I loved it at the time. You know, the whole Dennis Hopper sequence, that is just beautiful, where he insults Christopher Walken and all that. It's just yeah. great, great stuff. Uh, Crimson Tide, yeah, an absolute bona fide classic. Love that movie to bits. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, the Fan, I don't think I've seen it. Uh, Enemy it's State. Not, not one of his best. It's not one Enemy of his best. Enemy of State, that's the one you love, yeah? I love Enemy of State, yeah. yeah. I barely remember it, you know. <laughs> Spy Game, I haven't seen it. Can't comment. Man on Fire, yeah, that's excellent. Um, I did find that a bit, although it's a great movie and Denzel's superb in it, great story as well. Again, I, I think I was getting a bit distracted by the visual look of that movie. A lot of stuff's going on there. There's a lot of clever tricks being done. And I think I was paying more attention to what he was doing you know, in camera uh, than anything else. But it is a great movie, without a doubt. Domino, uh, no, bloody awful. Deja Vu, I reviewed that. And I don't think I liked it. Another, I can't remember. I think Simon now, does, though, isn't it? Yeah, Simon, isn't it? Yeah, I really enjoyed that film. Really, really enjoyed it. Second to, to Man on Fire for me. Um, Which one? Deja Vu? Several times. Deja Vu, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it, I don't know how many times. Twice? No. Twice? No. <laughs> this is no. a joke. No, I think it's twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great film. I All really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, uh, it's worth it just to see John Travolta's wacky, weird hair and strange face. Um, Unstoppable, yeah, I loved that. I thought that was great. Not much meat to that movie, um, but as you know, as Steve said, you, you can't beat a rampaging train. It's, it's. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, Denzel's great in it, and um, who's the other guy? Chris Pine. Yeah, I thought that was a great movie. But again, you know, Tony Scott. I don't immediately think, oh my god, we've Hollywood's lost one of its greatest shining stars. I, I, I don't think that. And the guy was um, very good at what he did. He had a distinctive style. And he's left, you know, a legacy that a lot of people really do enjoy. But it was a very slick, commercial sort of um, style. Yeah, um, Tony Scott, I, I think, though, as much as, you know, people have been waxing lyrical and, and some people will go on the other side of the fence and say, well, you know, he wasn't one of the greats. I think he, he's a really fine example of someone who knew his audience very well. I think you can see the advertising background in his work. I think he's perhaps unfairly finds his name tied forever to kind of Top Gun and Days of Thunder and it's led people to kind of view his work in a certain style as if he's he was solely a product of that kind of 
Don Simpson's 80s era of, of kind of commercialism and excess, whereas he, he made a lot of decent films, and if they were... If they were books, they'd be page turners. And and the one key thing is he always aimed to be entertaining. You can perhaps say at, at times that um, certain films lacked something in the way of finesse and perhaps they were never going to fall into the, the category of being something that you could say was from an auteur or something. But at the same time, you know, he's not simply the, the quick-cut uh, MTV generation director. I, I still say Enemy of the State. If you look at it now from a... It was made at a time when Google Earth and GPS seemed to be just kind of visions of the future, and it, it was a, a deeply unsettling story. And he and he, he made quite a, a wide variation of films, even though they all fall into the category generally of thrillers. I think there's something, you know, as we've seen, each of us tends to have a different favourite film from him. So, yeah, I, I think he's someone that um, when people are looking around for summer blockbusters or, or a decent thrillers to come out that are entertaining perhaps won't tax the audience terribly but will be slick and you you know what you'll get i i think we will miss that kind of figure yeah so uh, i mean he's uh, he's the type of director who is going to split opinion um just because of the the type of films that he, he puts out there but i think every one of us has had a, a film on there that we've really enjoyed or even one or two um so it is sad to hear of tony scott's passing um, and he has created uh, certainly a legacy going forward and as we go forward we're just about out of time uh, but before we go we're going to quickly discuss some upcoming reviews on the site uh, so let's head over to the reviews manager uh, Mr Simon Crust who's going to tell us what's coming up on AV forums forward slash movies um, yeah quite a big month actually this month um, some very very big hitters um, Matt's going to be looking at Titanic 3D um, which I can't think of anything worse, but uh, he volunteered <laughs> for it. So uh, don't tell him that the boat sinks. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, he's also looking at The Dictator, which is Sasha Baron Cohen's latest weird, odd film. Um, that's coming towards the end of the month. Um, Alan's going to be looking at some very, very big hitters. He's looking at the Avengers Assemble as, as it's called over here in the UK, Avengers everywhere else in the world. And he's looking at the 3D version. He's also looking at the UK version of Jaws. Um, hopefully that's going to be up very, very soon. And uh, an old one for him, he's looking at Midnight Cowboy, which um, was requested to be reviewed on site a little while back now. Um, we're finally getting around to it. So we do listen and we do uh, what we can. Kaz is looking at The Raid, um, that Korean um, Judge Dredd ripoff. Yeah, <laughs> Korean version of Judge Dredd. Yeah. So he's looking at that. I mean, he really enjoyed it. Simon, it's, it's Indonesian. Indonesian. Okay. Indonesian. By a Welshman. <laughs> so uh, Indonesian version of of Judge Dredd. Um, he's he, he actually uh, saw it at the cinema and raved about it. Um, and on the strength of his review, I actually pre-ordered it straight away. I, I so I'm really looking week. forward it's to really it. Good. It is really good. It's, brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. awesome. It's yeah, absolutely brutal. It's, great brief, it's yeah. really good. There's a sequel in the works to it already, isn't there? Probably it's an American grave. remake as well, I would think. Yeah, there is an American remake on the way. Yeah, it's called Dread. <laughs> well, um, that was, I think that's a coincidence, but yeah, they have got basically the same plot. Yeah, Yeah. moving on. Uh, he's looking at Safe, the Jason Stratham latest Stratham? vehicle. Stratham? Stratham. 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 Or the Stratham. Stratham. Anyway, that bloke. He's an, he's an Expendables 2, I believe. Um, he's Chuck also looking at, with Chuck Norris. He's also uh, looking at um, Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods, 
um, which was released, uh, kept in limbo for a couple of years, but released on the back of The Avengers. So that should be very, very interesting. Never heard it. Chris is going to be looking at um, uh, a favourite film of his. Um, he's got it written down here as Lawrence Into the Desert. We, of course, mean Lawrence of Arabia, um, which as well, we've been waiting, what, four years for this one to come out? It's finally actually, coming out. Simon, that's um, actually getting a theatrical re-release as well, just prior to the disc release next week. Well, there you go. So if you want to go um, and see it on the big, big screen, uh, in brand new 4K, really 4K master, uh, 4K really uh, benefit from restoration, it. then, uh, yeah, definitely. Because I have seen it on the big screen back in its when it was reissued in 85, 86, when they did the uh, director's cut of it, David Lee, mm. the director's cut. And it is amazing on the really big screen. Back when you were in your 30s. <laughs> In the 80s. Mm. In the mid 80s, yeah. It's supposed to look amazing as well on Blu-ray now. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, the restoration is awesome. They did an 8K yeah. restoration, the 65mm yeah. print, it's going to be incredible. Awesome. A film that de- de- defines cinema, isn't it? You know, it's epic, great story, fabulous acting, a superlative turn from Peter O'Toole, and you've got some of the greatest uh, visual juxtapositions and scene changes. Well, it's got the, the jump cut for the blowing out the match, yeah, the sunrise. Absolutely it's absolutely incredible. Staggering. Yeah. And the long shot of Omar Sharif arriving across the desert. Yeah, it's just, yeah, can't wait for that one. Should be great. Um, and also expect uh, many bonds, I think is the word we could use here. <laughs> many, many bonds. bonds. On a Majesty's Secret Service, the best another, bond ever. <laughs> another ever. bargain. 89 quid for 22 movies. Bring it on. Yeah. And, and yeah. uncut as well. Casino Royale is, is actually fully uncut in the UK for the first time. Is it the full version, is it? With it's the, the full version. Dangling yeah. the, the rope around his neck and all that sort of homoerotic yeah, well, yeah, subtext. It's, it's the, li- the line primarily, isn't it? Wow, you've taken care of your body. Such a shame. Obviously not in that weird accent. I don't know what the hell that's supposed to be. But yeah, that, that's, that's what he says. And that line was removed, as well as the, uh, the rope drapage. <laughs> the phallic rope drapage. I think I paid too much attention to that scene. <laughs> yeah, Chris, is there something what you want to tell hell? us? What the hell? Um, uh, amongst others that I know are coming. Um, and myself, I'll be looking at a 3D film called The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, which I know not very much about. Um, it arrived this morning. Ardham Animation, yeah. It's, um, it arrived this morning. It's downstairs. I've yet to, to spin it. I went to see it at the pictures with the kids. It's enjoyable-ish. There you go. <laughs> enjoyable-ish. That's, oh, that's my good. review for that one. Um, plus, we've got other things coming up, the uh, various um, uh, discs sent to us that we'll be that we'll be covering, um, which will remain enigmatic at this time. Whoa. Okay, so that's what's coming up uh, on the site, evforums.com forward slash movies. Uh, so that's all we got time for this evening. Don't forget, Picture Perfect. Uh, we're into step three now. Uh, that is Picture Perfect. Uh, no, it's not. It's myperfectpicture.tv, uh, or you can go and ask questions in the forum, which is avforums.com forward slash pictureperfect. Uh, don't forget, you can keep up with the latest movie news, which uh, Steve posts to the site every day on Twitter, uh, which is at avforums, uh, and also all the reviews that are released get posted on our Twitter feed. Or if you're on Facebook, you can follow us on Facebook, at facebook.com forward slash avforums. And I guess all I need to do now, guys, is thank you for your time. So thanks very much. Thank you, Phil. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Chuck. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you again next month. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. 
The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.